That uh, last song brings back a lot of memories. And uh, the uh, man who wrote that song just died a couple of weeks ago, Mylon Lefevre. He wrote it when he was quite young. But I think about that and um, think about uh, when we had the privilege years ago to go to the Jacksonville Pastors Conference and they would use that at their uh, invitation. They had a big lighthouse. And of course, there's a 9,000 seat auditorium. Uh, quite big and they had a huge lighthouse on the platform and whenever they would start the invitation to that song the light would be going back and forth and it's quite impressive there but it brings back uh, good memories so thank you for the music well uh, tonight when we finish we've got uh, several people that we're going to send uh, these programs to uh, Jimmy Hillis had uh, foot surgery uh, Chelsea of course as you know our daughter had surgery yesterday and then uh, Nita, we want to send it to her. She's got COVID. And then um, Emily Jackson, used to be Jackson, uh, just had a baby uh, just, I guess, yesterday or today. And so uh, we want to send that and be an encouragement to all of them as well. So uh, be sure and sign those. Don't, don't pass up that opportunity to be a blessing to somebody. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 127 and finish it up tonight. Hard to believe it's been seven weeks since we started this. But this again is that psalm written by Solomon. He didn't write very many, but this is one of them. And uh, some people think that only David wrote the psalms, but several people did. This is one, it's called a psalm of ascent because they would always think about going to Jerusalem. They would always say they were going up to Jerusalem. No matter where they were located in Israel, it was always up to Jerusalem because they went not by whether they were going north or south or east or west, but by the elevation. And so they would come to Jerusalem. There were hills around it. And they would uh, go up those hills. And they would go up those hills, going to the temple, going to Passover, going to things like that. And they would sing. It was a great way of discipling their children, a great way where they would reinforce truth and think about what they were going to do and get their hearts ready for the uh, time of worship. Uh, you think about the psalm uh, that says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I'll quote it in King James. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I've heard people a lot of times say, oh, we've just got to look to the hills. There's something special about the mountains. That's not what the psalmist was saying. The psalmist was saying when he looked at the hills, those hills that surrounded Jerusalem, those seemingly unchanging hills, while life was changing so fast, so quickly around him, he would look at the hills, but he didn't find any help in things that don't change. And you know, we do the same thing. We say, oh, if things could just be like they used to be, things like they were decades ago, oh, it would be so much better. But that's not where our hope is ever found. Sometimes we think about if we still had people here that have gone on to heaven, if they were still here, if, if they just were still serving, still around, still loving, still with us, then everything would be great. But we don't find our hope in keeping everything the same or trying to reproduce the past. Your help is not in the hills. It's not in the unchanging things of life. 
Everything changes. It's made that way. Generations come, generations go. Nations rise, nations fall, all of that. What did the psalmist say? I lift up my eyes, I see the hills, those hills I've seen since I was a boy. Those hills that have always been there as far as I know. But uh, where does my help really come from? Not from the hills. Because understand too, the hills are also where the idolaters bowed before pagan gods in Israel. The high places, they are called. And so the psalmist is saying, I don't find any help in pagan deities. I don't find any help in the people that worship those false gods. And I don't find any help in the consistency of those hills and how long they've been there. Where do I find my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I look to the God who made all of those things. I look to the God who rules over all of those things. I look to the God who judges all of those things. I look to the one who is sovereign and all-powerful and the one who can change the idolatry. I'm looking to the one who can change the landscape and is in control of everything that happens. I mean, it's nice to find your comfort, as we sang a while ago, by looking to the Lord and not just to the people, not just to the circumstances, and not just to the stuff that we have all around us. We try to find our security in those things. And that's, in essence, what we've been looking at when we look at Psalm 127. Unless the Lord, Solomon says, builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, set up late, and to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so, the children of, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And we're going to look at that last phrase tonight. When they speak to their enemies in the gate. And I uh, wanted to speak on that because we've gotten awfully quiet lately. It seems like in our nation and in our culture, especially with the rise of the woke movement, there's this unspoken thing that says you better go along with the program. You better go along with what everybody thinks or else. And the idea of freedom of speech and freedom of thought and tolerance and all of that is just being just choked out and squelched out as we find people that will speak up and the next thing you know, they're destroyed. They're canceled, as we call it now. They're no longer relevant and their lives are many times destroyed. And we find this going on in social media. We find it going on in politics, all kinds of things around. And it puts this pressure on all of us to go, shh. We know what you think, Christians, but shh, it's private. Keep it to yourself. And it's interesting because everything we find in the Scripture tells us we are supposed to be speaking up. We're ambassadors for Christ. Have you ever heard of a silent ambassador? 
Whenever our ambassadors go to other countries, they represent the United States, they represent our government, they represent our people, and they speak up when they're doing that. They're not made to be silent. When we think about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under the marching orders, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. If there was any place it was tough to speak up, it was in Jerusalem. That's where the Jews were, the Judaizers who hated Christ and Christianity, and yet they were commanded, speak up and be a witness for me there. They were commanded to also be a witness in not only Jerusalem, but Judea, the region that was around them. And the Judeans were people who were kind of like them. They thought like them, they worked like them, they, they uh, you know, believed like they believed. And have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to speak up with people who are like you? You ever tried to witness to family members? You ever tried to witness to a long-term friend? Man, it's hard. Hard to get over that. Jesus told them that after the Holy Spirit came upon them, not only Jerusalem, where the persecution was, where it was tough, not only Judea to the people that were like them, but also Samaria. The Samaritans were the people that the Jews hated, and the Samaritans felt likewise. There was no love lost between the two of them. They were to cross uh, national boundaries, they were to cross racial boundaries, they were to cross cultural boundaries to witness to people that were not like them. And sometimes, I know uh, at, at various occasions, I've had somebody ask a question, like one time, I mean decades ago, we got the name of someone and, and nobody on visitation night would take that name. And I finally looked at it, what's wrong with this name? And somebody said, they're Buddhist. And I said, you don't want to witness to a Buddhist? I don't know how to witness to a Buddhist. And I said, would you like, I mean, in my 20-year-old wisdom, I said, would you like for me to tell you how to witness to a Buddhist? And they said, sure. And I said, number one, tell them all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, tell them that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Tell them that God demonstrated his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Tell them that uh, if they will confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. And then tell them the promise is, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'll never forget it. This person looked at me and said, well, you're talking like you witnessed to them like you would a regular person. And I said, yeah, because they are a regular person. Their problem's not that they're a Buddhist. Their problem is that they're a sinner and a holy God has been offended and his wrath is going to come upon them if they don't repent and trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they said, well, I don't know anything about Buddhism. I said, you don't have to. You're there to plant seeds. You're there to be an ambassador for Christ, not to tear down Buddhism or anything like that, but to give the truth. God can handle it. Spurgeon said that we don't need to defend the Word of God. The Word of God is like a lion. You don't defend the lion, you just turn him loose. He can take care of himself, can't he? And the Word of God is the same way. Just give the Word of God, even if you're in a Samaritan situation with people you don't particularly like or they don't like you or there's hostility or resentment or a different religion or anything like that, just Give the word of God out to them. 
And then he said to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, there are some uttermost parts that it's kind of easy to go to. Years ago, we went to Venezuela, and uh, while we were there with Pastor Montoya, we were uh, going door to door. And as we were going door to door, we found the people to be so open and so friendly. And it was in some ways easy to witness to them because they were so extremely hospitable. I mean, you'd knock on the door and the pastor or whoever you were with would introduce you to the people, doing it in Spanish, of course, so I assume they were saying good things about us. You never know. And uh, then the people would come up, they would get chairs for us, and they would want us to, you know, have orange juice or fresh orange juice. Man, it was good. Or anything we could. And uh, then sat down and we would talk. And we would be able to share the gospel. And they were so polite. And it was a wonderful experience. At the end of the week, I said, uh, Pastor, man, when we in the United States knock on people's doors, they're not this receptive. Why in the world, how in the world, this must, no, excuse me, this must be nice to be able to do this like you do. And he looked at me and he goes, we don't do this very often. And I said, what? Why not? When it's so open, he goes, they're not open to us. What they do is they wonder, why are rich Americans, why did they come all the way down here and why are they at my doorstep? We were almost like celebrities, and so they wanted to talk and they wanted to be nice. And so I said, so you're taking advantage of our status so that you can get into all of these homes. And he grinned and he goes, yeah, you're just a tool that we use to tell other people about Jesus. Well, I'll tell you something. It was easy there, really easy there. I was in Honduras and uh, we had a medical team that was there and they did everything from eyeglasses to dentistry to, you know, uh, first aid, anything else that you could do. But in order for the people to come to that, they had to listen to people like me first. So they'd bring them into a room, and there would be about 40 of them in that room. And there were five preachers on that, so we would take turns doing this, and we'd preach the gospel to them. And I remember uh, there was one occasion where I got through and I said, uh, would anyone like to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord and to surrender to him. And almost the whole room stood up. And I said, well, this can't be right. Sit down. And I said, uh, this is not just an easy little thing that you do. This is going to be costly to you. A very Roman Catholic um, area there. And I said, if you do, you will probably be put out of the church. The priest will not think well of you. It may cost you some of your family uh, relationships and that kind of thing. Now how many of you want to receive Christ? Man, more people stood up. And I said, well, this can't be right. And so I had them sit down again, and I made it even tougher on that. And I said, and you will not be able to see the doctor any quicker because we're going to stay here and talk with you. You'll be the last ones to get your medicine or see the doctor. And I thought, boy, that'll do it. And they all stood up again. And I remember thinking, good night. I wish it were this easy at home. And uh, it was easy at that point. Well, I've been to some other places since then. Places like India, where they don't always understand everything. I had some tracks that I uh, carried around with me. And, uh, you know, for a while it was popular, the YOLO thing. You only live once. 
And uh, that was in commercials and things like that. Go for the gusto is an old-fashioned way of saying that. You only live once. Get, get everything you can. And the track said, what will you do after you YOLO? What will you do? What will happen after you only live once? And the idea was, after that is eternity. And I had those, and I pulled them out, and I go, oh, wait a minute. This place is Hindu. They believe in reincarnation. This will never work because they don't believe you only live once. And they worship all kinds of weird and strange gods and goddesses and idols and all of the things that you find in the scripture about people turning from idols to the true and the living God like they did in Thessalonica and places like that, that's kind of where we were. And when you were in Venezuela or Honduras, people there understood Jesus Cristo. They understood Jesus. They understood things about the Holy Spirit and the Bible and those kind of things. And uh, they, they were immersed in all of that through Roman Catholicism. But when you go to India, they don't have a clue. And you talk to people about that, and they think that Jesus, the Jesus you serve and love, is about as weird as some of their gods and goddesses are to us. Very difficult to talk to them and to try to get them to understand the gospel because they don't even know who Jesus is. They have no clue. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible stories. They don't have any of that in their culture and so there are some places it's difficult recently in India the uh, prime minister there Mr. Maudi he was a uh, governor of a state in India before he was prime minister where they started persecuting Christian pastors and Christian believers now as prime minister that is going on and I've seen videos not too long ago of pastors that were drug outside of their churches and uh, they would burn their hands or burn their feet and do things like that. Then they would burn down the building and run them and their family out of town. Persecution is coming up there because Christianity is not very big in India, but it is the fastest growing religion in India. Praise God for that, right? And so we think about how hard it is or how easy it might be. We think about where the doors sometimes are open. They, uh, uh, Southern Baptists were in China before it became communist. There was a very famous Southern Baptist missionary named Bill Wallace. They made a, a, a movie about him called Bill Wallace of China that was pretty popular back in the day. And uh, he had to leave China because of the Maoists, the communists had taken over. And uh, when he and people like that left, they said, oh, China will be closed off. China will be persecuted. China will be communist and atheistic. And, and oh, it's the end of mission work in China. And then when China opened up uh, in recent decades, you know what they found out? Christianity had actually exploded in China. You know why? Because the word of God is not chained. And they can't keep the power of the Holy Spirit out. And the witness of people like Lottie Moon and Bill Wallace of China and those, it just exploded during that time. And so we never know what it is that God is going to do, where He's going to do it, or how He's going to do it. And sometimes doors open up and sometimes they close. But God is in charge of all of that. And that is uh, what has to happen. And so when we think about what is 
going on here in our own country. And we kind of review what we're talking about here in Psalm 127. We find that nations decline and the doors shut and it becomes difficult as, as Christians when there is an attempt to succeed as a secular society. Our, our history is so full of God and providence and worship and church and that kind of thing. But now we're trying to get rid of all of that and have a purely secular society. So unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And we're trying to build it without the Lord. Number two, we said, an inordinate trust in military might. We don't need the protection of God. We've got tanks. We've got nuclear weapons. We've got bombers. We've got uh, all kinds of well-trained troops. And yet the Bible says unless the Lord guards the city or the nation, the watchman stays awake in vain. Thirdly, we said that... Um, Finding our identity and our security in work or wealth. You know, we don't find very many things that we really need that we can't get a hold of. When I was a teenager back in Owasso, there was a family in our church that had come there from Brooklyn, New York. And they were there in a, a very difficult area, very small churches. Uh, if, if they were Baptist churches, they were extremely small. And one of the things that the lady said, she was a good friend of my mother-in-law's, Igna Miller was her name, she was from Puerto Rico originally, and she said the difference between New York and Oklahoma is in New York when the water heater went out in the church, we called a prayer meeting and we got on our faces before God to pray for God to provide a hot water tank for our church. She goes, in Oklahoma you just go out and buy one. Big difference, isn't it? And so when we think about that, maybe that's a, a symbol of why God doesn't move anymore. We don't depend upon Him like we used to. And that certainly is true for our nation. We've got so much wealth, so much disposable income that we just, you know, think that we can buy anything that we want and all of the things that we get are going to make us happy or make us secure. And so it's vain to rise up early and to set up late and it's... Vain to eat the bread of sorrows because God wants to bless and give his beloved sleep. Uh, number four, we know that a nation is in decline when we don't see children as a blessing, but we see them actually as a burden, even though they're a heritage from the Lord. Well, we can kill them if we want to. We can do without them if we want to. We can ignore them if we want to. We can sell them into the sex trade if we want to. We can make pornography with them if we want to. Whatever we want to do. We're the masters of our fate. We are the captain of our souls, right? And yet, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. So you think that God is not going to say something about the way we think about and treat children. And we ought to treat them for what they are, a heritage from the Lord. We said, number five, that we have a problem because we leave parenting to the quote-unquote experts and now everybody's a better expert than the parents are the parents are just kind of dumb the parents are ignorant the parents only have the bible and previous generations to go through they're not educated like we are and look what's happening all around us crime and violence and gangs and drugs and alcohol and suicide all of that i would say it's about time to fire the experts right 
and, uh, and, and get back to what's, what works, what's true. And he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, not the hand of an expert, the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And then we talked about, sixthly, that we believe the myth. We think that we're actually happier if we can live our own lives and live selfishly instead of investing in a new generation. And God says, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. But we don't want to be bothered. We want to fulfill our own lives. And we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And children take up too much time. They're too expensive. And uh, it's just not a good deal. And yet a nation never thrives when it doesn't love its children, take care of its children, educate its children properly, especially spiritually and morally, that is to a nation's peril. Okay, That brings us to the last thing we want to talk about tonight. And that is fear, failure, and shame cause the godly to be quiet. Sit down, shut up. And they tell us, you can believe whatever you want to believe. It's a, it's a free country. And then I kind of want to say, oh, is it? Just don't talk. Just keep your antiquated ideas to yourself. I am going to make a prediction that if God doesn't intervene, there will come a day when Christian parents will be declared mentally unfit and their children might be taken away from them. You say, oh, that would never happen. Well, did you know now that in California that uh, there were laws presented before the legislature that the governor was prepared to sign to say that if you did not let your children do a sexual transition from male to female or female to male, that your children could be taken away from you because that was incompatible with the values of the state of California. Taking children away from their parents because you actually try to parent your children. How much further does that go? Mr. Keenan, yes, we're from the government, Department of Homeland Security. We have some questions for you. Can you answer some questions? Do you teach your children that the Bible is a valid rule book for life? Well, yes, I do. It's more than that, but yes, I do. And do you teach them that homosexuality is a sin? Yes, I do. Then you are no longer mentally fit to be a parent because it's obvious that you are insane. We notice you're a member of a Baptist church. Uh, Yes, I am. Do you believe all of the things that that crazy preacher says? Do you believe all of those doctrines? Yes. Well, we're going to take your children and put them in a re-education camp because you are mentally ill and you are enforcing your beliefs upon them. We're going to take them out and do something else. I think unless God intervenes that even as old as I am, I will probably live to see that or at least get close. And this is happening because... As Richard Nixon called the silent majority, they don't speak. Silent. Now, I know that there are some people who embarrass us the way that they speak. I don't want anything to do with the Westboro Baptist Church. I resent the fact that they have Baptists in their name like we do. I don't want anybody thinking that we're like that. So don't get me wrong. 
That's not the answer, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying this. Why in the world are we so intimidated to speak up for the Lord and about truth? People say it's unloving, but actually it's the most loving thing that you can do. You can't let somebody just head off of a cliff and go, well, you know, to each his own and fall off. You can't tell somebody when a bridge is out, uh, well, you know, just go your own way and I hope it works out for you and not warn them. We, we are called to do that type of thing and we're called to speak up and in most cases we do. Well, I don't want to be impolite. If I were walking by a neighbor's house and I just decided to go in their house and go in and sit down at their dinner table and just start visiting with them and go, hey, by the way, I'm Greg. I live two houses down and I smelled, uh, you know, your roast smelled good. I thought I'd have some of it. That would, that would be completely out of line, wouldn't it? But if I were walking by there and I saw flames coming out of their attic and I knew that they were unaware of it, then they would thank me if I broke their door down and came in and yelled, fire, come on, get out now. They would thank me. I'd probably get an award for something like that. Why? The circumstances are different. And what we forget is all of the people around us who are lost, their house is on fire. This is not the time simply to use good manners, even though we ought to. You, you understand what I'm saying. This is the time where we ought to feel the urgency that I need to talk to them. I need to pray for them. I need to find a way to get into their lives. And when I read the Bible, I find that God wants us to get involved in other people's lives. And uh, our isolation is keeping us from doing that. And it's keeping us from witnessing. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and witness to them by grabbing them and pulling them around and telling them they're going to hell. I'm saying we need to understand that they are and be motivated by that and by the glory of God to go talk to them and look for an opportunity to talk to them. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said, so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now you can't do good works that are going to get other people's attention and not be involved in anybody's life. Jesus is saying, get your hands dirty. Get involved. Get to know them, even if it's difficult, like we said with the Jerusalem and the Judea and the Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you can drive a Mack truck through the open door. Other times it is very, very difficult, and yet we need to do it. And maybe sometimes we get to share the whole gospel with them. Maybe other times we just get to help them change a flat tire. Or maybe we take a meal to them when they've had a loss in their family or maybe there's something like that that we can do and then they ask the question why are you doing this boy talk about an opportunity and talk about an opening but if we're going to be silent quiet and isolated fearful and sometimes people say well I'm not sure I could witness because that person is doing what I used to do in my past and they'll think I'm a hypocrite and I'm embarrassed to share anything like that. So let's uh, talk about this for just uh, a few more minutes and uh, consider this. Number one, apathy is not an option. That's what's killing us, folks. Apathy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, it tells us to watch. That's not an apathetic, laissez-faire, uh, let the world go by work, work, uh, word. Watch. It's uh, the idea of being vigilant. 
It's the Greek word gregoreo. My name's in that. Watch. And then it says, stand fast in the faith. No matter what the pressure may be to move, to drift, or anything, you stand firm and you stand in the faith. That's a reference to the Bible. You've got to be brave. The King James Version says, quit ye like men. I heard of a guy that was preaching one time and in his zeal he said, quit ye like men. Some of you men need to quit smoking. Some of you men need to quit drinking. Some of you men, and all of that. Well, uh, God bless him, but that's not what that means. It means act like a man. It means to be mature is the idea there. And we've got to be brave. And we've got to be strong. And the strong there is a passive word in the Greek. It means we've got to be strengthened by the Spirit of God. But be careful while you're doing that, while you're watching, while you're standing firm in the faith, while you're being brave and mature, and while you're being strong. Then he tempers it by saying, let all you do be done with love. And that's what we have to remember while we fight the fight, while we go after the battles, while we stand up for the truth. Are we doing it in love? Are we doing it in love? Or do we just want to be right? Are we angry that people don't think like we do? They're messing up our world. That's not the motive. Let all you do be done in love. Secondly, think about this. It's foolish to allow evil to go unchallenged. We're not supposed to do that because it's going to spread like a virus. It's going to spread like an infection. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 7 says... Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, that's that term, it's in Psalm 127, he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. And so uh, what are we doing? Whenever they're planning at the gates, that place of authority, that seat of power, <coughs> planning evil, and we don't speak up. What about Congress? What about the White House? What about the judiciary? Are we speaking up when they are plotting evil and when they're planning evil or allowing evil? That's what it means to uh, open up your mouths in the gates. We need to be speaking up. And Proverbs 24, 10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, be careful because we like to plead ignorance. Well, we didn't know. But you know, nowadays you always have the capability of knowing. Right? We're not just shut off in a cabin out in the woods somewhere with nothing else. We've got all kinds of information. So if you say, we did not know this, does... Not he who weighs the heart perceive it? I think about the people in Germany who said, well, we, you know, we were just living lives. We didn't know what was going on in the concentration camps. And they would say that with the smoke billowing out of the chimneys not too far from where they were. How could you not know and how could you not speak up at a time like that? Well, couldn't the same be said for us? Fearful, quiet, intimidated by all of this. Number three. Wanting approval from people is a trap. 
Well, I'm afraid if I speak up about what I really believe, people won't like me. I might not get the promotion. I might not be well thought of. I might not be invited to the parties. I might not be invited to lunch. I may just kind of be pushed out of things, maybe even in the family. A man's enemies will be those of his own household, Jesus said. So that's a promise. But I think about John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless... Even among the rulers, many believed in him. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Oh, there's more to it. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So they didn't speak up. They didn't speak up because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue. Oh, and then it goes on to say, For they loved the praise or the approval of men, more than the praise or approval of God. Boy, are we like that? We would rather have our neighbors to like us than we would to be obedient to God and approved of Him. And so when we think about uh, this, wanting approval from people, that's a trap, and that's how they get you to shut your mouth. So be careful about that. We're not here to gain the approval of people. We're not here to make them hate us either. We're not here to drive them crazy or anything like that either so be careful with that but don't be intimidated and then number four we need to speak up on behalf of others sometimes we speak up for ourselves uh there was that thing that you've all heard back in uh, nazi germany and uh, a guy said you know when they came for the trade unions i wasn't a member of those so i said nothing and then they came for another group, and I wasn't a part of them, so I said nothing. And it goes on and on through a whole chain of events and people. And then it says, and then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak up for me, for I had been silent. When you think about that, this is why we speak up for other people. The Bible says in Micah 6, 8, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, or justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I look at that and I go, are we doing that? Do we really care about justice in our world today? Do we really care about mercy? Are we merciful enough to get involved in people's lives? And are we walking humbly with the Lord? Because the Lord Jesus got involved in people's lives, didn't he? He went about doing good, the scripture says, and so should we. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, even if a person is caught in some transgression, you who are spiritual should correct that one in a gentle spirit, looking to yourself that you also may not be tempted. You know, so many times we just say, well, that's their business. Oh, it's no deal. But if you're spiritual... What does Paul say? You will try to restore that person. And even, I believe it's uh, the Apostle James in his book, he talks about snatching people even from the fire. And that's what our attitude is supposed to be. It's not just about us. And then lastly, if we don't speak up, here's the question, who will? Who will? Well, it'll be somebody who's perverted. It'll be somebody with a corrupt mind. It'll be somebody who is prideful. It'll be somebody who hates God. It'll be somebody who hates everything that we stand for. It'll be someone that um, 
uh, is going to bring about unthinkable things. I mean, we're already seeing that, aren't we? Some of the things people march at in the streets and some of the things they do while they're marching in the streets and they call it pride. Well, what, where is that coming from? I think a lot of it comes from because we've had about 50 years of relative silence out of the Christian community and we've just kind of given in and capitulated and let it go and we think, well, if we'll give them a little bit, then they'll, they'll settle down. And they told us, when the gay marriage thing first came up, well, we don't want to redefine marriage. We just want to be able to love each other and do what we want to do. Well, that's certainly not true. We're seeing that changing before our very eyes and being challenged before our very eyes. And now you're the one who is out of step. Some, something happened here, right? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor and defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. You know, uh, speak truth to power. Have you ever heard that? You know who's supposed to do that? We are. We're supposed to, as Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. Not just sit back, fold our arms and say, hmm, I hate this. Be involved wherever you can. Now, maybe you can't lead a protest, and maybe you're not going to be elected to Congress or anything like that, but you can teach your own children. You can serve and you can minister. And when somebody asks you, you can speak honestly, but you do it, of course, in love. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the speechless, that the cause of all who are uh, appointed to die. What about little babies in the womb? Who's speaking up for them? Who's speaking up for people like that? Verse 9, it says, Open your mouth, judge righteously. You better get both sides of it. Know your facts, know your stuff. And plead the cause of the poor and needy, those who are not represented, those who are not cared for. So when we look at this, we think about the saying, it's not in the Bible, but it fits. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to... There you go. That sums it all up pretty good. May we pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the world we live in today, we're supposed to be salt we're supposed to be light. In other words, our presence is supposed to be felt. Not for our ego, not so that we can build bigger buildings, not so that we can have political power or financial gain, nothing like that, as religion has been guilty of in the past. We're not here to control people or manipulate people. We're here to love God and to love people and to speak the truth. And forgive us, Father, when we look and we can see all of the problems in our nation, but yet we don't speak up. And forgive us when we get to where we are afraid. And really, when we're afraid, that means we're not loving. We don't love you enough, we don't love your truth enough, and we don't love the people enough to tell them the truth and to help them. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to help us to be bold, help us to be kind, help us to be merciful, 
Help us to be just in what we think, not just running off with something uh, half-cocked, but to find out both sides of the story, to find out what the real issues are, not to get trapped in something the enemy would set us up for to make us look like fools, but to be good witnesses and good ambassadors for Christ. Lord, we struggle with all of this, and everything in our culture kind of tells us to take a back seat, tells us to sit down, to be quiet, to shut up, and just go along and do what we're told. Well, we can't do that because Washington is not our Lord. Jesus Christ is. And so we come to you, Lord, saying, may you use us and help us to be faithful. And we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.